0: Do do do, do do do. do. Podding
1: through time,
2: Podding the untamed history do, podcast.
1: Do, do. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Holy shit! I heard yours at the exact moment that I did mine. That was that was in sync for me.
0: Yeah, I didn't even hear yours. That's how, that's how good.
1: You just clapped that well. <laughs> All right, we're we're in syncish.
0: Cool. I like being in a sink.
1: <laughs> Can we please talk about how Arizona has these weird stripy lines in it? And then... that's because daylight savings
0: time is not observed in the majority of the state, except that weird little ring at the top.
1: Right? Why? Why? <laughs> why the ring? <laughs> why Like more? No. The better question should be why the little why the little enclave inside the ring. That's the bigger question. Everywhere needs a Lesotho. I thought it was Lesotho.
0: Good question.
1: <laughs> I know it's T-H, but how do you pronounce it? That's the real question.
0: We're, we're including this in the start of the episode. Absolutely. Um, Welcome to uh, Plotting
1: Through Time, everyone.
0: It's Lesotho. It's Lesotho. We you yeah. were both wrong.
1: Damn. All right. You heard it here first, folks. It's Lesotho. Naha
0: ea Lesotho is the official name of the country. Kingdom I love it. Kingdom of Lesotho.
1: Lesut- the Lesut-
0: come on we just discussed it. <laughs> sorry you fool uh, I just said it all three ways within the last 30 seconds that we suggested so and the one that we didn't suggest
1: <laughs> so. uh, everyone who's listening uh, guess where that country is I'll give you a moment to pause the episode alright your time is up it's in South Africa nani? But in in is a difficult
0: word because it suggests something that is not true, but also it's correct. So (laughs) It is an enclave in South Africa. We're not talking about it today, but we were talking about it just now and made the executive decision that it's going to start our episode.
1: Correct. There's also another enclave in South Africa, which is another just tiny little African kingdom.
0: But Eswatini is not fully surrounded by South Africa. That's the difference. Correct. Just almost. And... As of a few years ago, that is the proper name. It's not it's not Swaziland anymore. It's Eswatini because the king changed the name.
1: And I'm gonna be honest, as cool as Swaziland is as a name, I do approve of Eswatini.
0: Umbuso We Swatini is the like kingdom of Eswatini in Swazi. So there you have it. I'll take it.
1: There is a king. I think it was the, I think it was the king of Lesotho was like the longest living monarch of all time
0: all right let's 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 find a little Sutu's head of state um,
1: longest ruling he's not alive anymore
0: monarch well, the current monarch is uh let's see the third cur- um,
1: i think the current longest reigning monarch is the queen of Ang- of of England of the commonwealth i should say
0: well so there's there's like dispute um there's an Egyptian pharaoh that has supposedly ruled for like nearly a century. Uh, I forget which one it is. Um, mm.
1: But can we prove it?
2: Or we no, just guessing? No, and that's the
0: issue. See, That's the issue is mm. that it's like it sounds too good to be true. Yeah. But it's not impossible. Uh, no, okay, so...
2: Oh, it was Eswatini.
0: Um, yeah, it was. So who's the second?
1: Wow. Ruled for eighty-two years, two hundred and fifty four days of Swaziland. What an absolute Chad.
0: And then so with inexact dates, Pepe the Second Neferkare seems to have ruled for ninety-four years. Damn. Um so over a decade over our friend Sobuza the second of Eswatini.
1: Hmm. Also there's Tejo of Goguryeo. I don't know where that is.
0: That's Korea. So that was a Long-lived kingdom in Korea. Fair enough. Goguryeo.
1: And We got a couple. We got two that have beat his record, but but we can't confirm their exact dates. So he's he's the longest with exact dates. Very interesting. Yeah. So what do we talk about today, Jacob? <laughs> so what we are talking about today, we
0: have quite the lineup. Um, first of all, we are revisiting an old friend. We're going to talk about our boy. Ibn Battuta, uh, but a little more personally this time because uh, we've like touched on him before. But but here's the thing: we love Ibn Battuta. Yes. And uh, I think I think we've decided that we're going to compare his distance traveled to some other explorers because when you actually run the the mileage he covers or kilometerage, if you are a communist. um, (laughs) Wait a minute. uh, Uh, it's, it's just, it's insane. He is, he holds the record for the longest, long, farthest traveling explorer in recorded history. After that, we're going to jump straight into the controversy and I'm going to tell you about the foundation of the state of Israel and the 1947 to 1949 Israeli, uh, Arab war. So... That's going to be fun. Get your pant- that's going to lead to some very fun responses. Get
1: your pants ready to be blown off. That is a terrible joke. Um, <laughs> Wait, that's not how I meant it at all. Wait a minute. <laughs> not what I meant. <laughs> oh, God. Whoops.
0: And uh, Evan, what are you going to tell us about?
1: Uh, I'm going to talk to you about Charlie Savage. That's all I'm giving you.
0: I, sounds like a wrestler. Um,
1: sure, let's go with that.
0: <laughs> In the blue corner, we have Charles Savage. <laughs> like, it sounds like one of those names.
1: It really does. <laughs> but, no. <laughs> um, oh, Jake, after- you can't just say that. Come on.
0: <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Um, so after that. <laughs> After that, we are going to talk about the recent um, election uh, for the United States presidency and compare it to other things. There's a certain concept known as peaceful transition of power that is being talked about. Mm. And uh, we want to talk about the history of that. So that's cool. Um, And then in response time, uh, I think we're both singing songs today.
1: Yeah, that's basically where we've let, been left, I'm pretty sure.
0: Specifically national anthems on request, but uh, no promises that we'll stick to that because we're going to have fun probably. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to find the San Marino anthem. One second.
0: <laughs> How good is your Italian? Or maybe it's Latin, who knows?
1: Zero percent. Maybe it's French, just in honor of Napoleon for sparing them.
0: Maybe. Who knows?
1: Who
2: knows? Not me.
0: I I like how San Marino is already taking up this status as, like, our country to bring up. (laughs) That should be a thing.
1: San Marino is always going to be my favorite legendary figure in in mythology.
0: For response time, guys, please keep requesting just San Marino.
1: Yes, just every single video, please. Video. (laughs) What? What? Is this a leak? Wait, Do you have a new idea coming up? Egg. No, this is slander. Lavelle. No, libel. Shit.
2: Lavelle. <laughs>
1: uh, we do have one other suggestion, which was, take a random priceless historical artifact, cover it in lighter fluid, then set it ablaze, record the entire thing, <laughs> and then we have to listen to the audio and, and guess what the artifact is. Um, And then, the, the most common response to that was just the flag of Albania, and I don't know what to how to interpret <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> wow, someone, uh, Wow! <laughs> I don't. Anyway, we have acquired the original flag of Albania. Yes,
1: somehow, <laughs> just for burning purposes, not because we hate Albania, but because it's an interesting segment idea. Apparently,
0: it's a it's it's modern art.
1: Modern uh, art. So open what's... open to interpretation. Indeed. So, you know else. Is, you know, it's not open to interpretation. However, is The record for most distance traveled as an explorer
0: oh that's what you think um wait (laughs) (laughs) so all right so this was a good transition we're going to talk about don't lie (laughs) (laughs) that's a really good transition because now i have a setup for something else okay so um We have talked before about a fellow by the names of Shams, Adin, Abu Abdullah, Muhammad, Ibn Abdullah, Ibn Muhammad, Ibn Ibrahim, Ibn Muhammad, Ibn Yusuf, Al-Lawati, Al-Tanji, Ibn Battuta. However, we want to talk about him again in several regards. If you didn't hear the previous, what, one, two episodes where we brought him up, I think he's come up like significantly in two episodes already. Uh, Maybe even the first one, because he was definitely compared to Marco Polo. Yes. Um, Basically, Basically. uh, Ibn Battuta is a famous travel writer from Morocco, who in the 1300s basically took this gigantic jaunt all the way across uh, Afro-Eurasia, visiting an absolute buttload of places, Uh, I say buttload because my girlfriend told me that we need to cuss less on here in case children are listening. Um, (laughs) He's seen as something of a culture hero in the Arab world and in the world of people interested in exploration in general. He shows up in a whole bunch of national narratives because sometimes, sometimes the only record of a given place in the 1300s or like the only record from an outsider or whatever uh, that's still around is like Ibn Battuta describing what it's like there and so uh, thank his you. book
1: thank you Ibn Battuta
0: which is titled A Gift to Those Who Contemplate the Wonders of Cities and the Marvels of Traveling um, mm-hmm. is so long that um, well, it all exists in Arabic there are as far as I know not really any, like, complete English translations, just translations of portions of it. Wow. Because it's gigantic. That um,
1: that actually is, surprises me. Really. We need to... No. I, I don't <laughs> believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> Ibn Battuta book, because I already forgot the name, English translation. We're gonna... <laughs> Google, help me out here. Prove me right. The Rehla of Ibn Battuta, the travels of Ibn Battuta.
0: So so what, what Rehla is, is it's like uh, the uh, genre of travel writing in Arabic. I did my homework. I looked that up ahead of time. Just you know.
1: <laughs> well, look at you.
0: Also, it's not Rehla. It's Rehla. Rehla. Um, I was using the wrong letter there.
1: Okay, so, I mean, there's a 286... Oh, sorry. Two hundred sixty-eight page uh, book called "The Travels of Ibn Battuta" in English. I think it is translated. Ah. Huh. Get dunked on. Ah. <laughs> huh. So we're gonna read it together, yeah? Book club. I.
0: I guess so. Maybe I was wrong. Um.
1: <laughs> or this is just like a book talking about his travels by some historian.
0: So one of the one of the travels of Ibn Battuta that I see here online says translated from the abridged arabic manuscript copies
1: oh my Uh, god that's probably what the one
0: the one from london picador 2002 is also an excellent and accessible new edition abridged introduced and annotated so like all the versions i'm seeing here say abridged if you look hard enough
1: amazing all right i believe you then (laughs) (laughs) abridged confirmed i need the full version i need the full multi-thousand page document please and thank you so yeah um
0: there's, there's a lot to talk about. One, the historicity section, which I alluded to a little bit before at the bottom of the Wikipedia article, which I don't really have a Wikipedia segment that's long that I want to read, so this will fill it in. This is like one sentence, but it's important to know. Uh, the German Middle East scholar Ralph Elger views Batuta's travel account as an important literary work, but doubts the historicity of much of its content. Which he suspects to be a work of fiction, being compiled and inspired from other contemporary travel reports. Various other scholars have raised similar doubts. So, uh, at least, at least, if one German guy and some other guys have a disappointing opinion on the uh, gift to those who contemplate the, mar- the wonders of cities and the marvels of travel.
1: Wow, rude. But F.
0: I'm hopeful because that appears to be a minority opinion. Can't we just and
1: can't we just like confirm by seeing if he was right afterwards let's ask him
0: um okay
1: <laughs> fun fact we actually have a time machine <laughs> big announcement <laughs>
0: so so what's interesting is like um if you if you get into arabic medieval arabic literature there is this whole uh genre of rihla which basically describes like like Journeys and travel writing, and because the Islamic world was is so so big, and Arabic could be used as like a trade language, uh, in the thirteen hundreds, everywhere from Spain to India and beyond, maybe down to Indonesia. You know, these 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 travel texts go very far, and uh, people in the medieval Islamic world had uh, a better knowledge of Afro Eurasia than basically any people previous to that time period. In fact, uh, in much earlier in the Middle Ages, in the Abbasid Caliphate, from like the 800s through 1000s, in the Beit al-Hikmah, the House of Wisdom, which actually lasted until the Mongol conquests in the 1200s, uh, had scholars from China and Europe and West Africa chilling, reading Arabic texts. So like the, world, the Islamic world of the Middle Ages was huge, and a figure like Ibn Battuta could exist in it, because um, even if he was often the first one to write so much about his journey, and certainly he went insanely far. Went, um, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he was moving on paths that were largely already gone by Muslims before. In fact, there's, there's ample evidence that we can probably say nowhere that Ibn Battuta went was he the first Muslim to go. However, he is the first one that we know of, and you know, by all means, probably was the first one to hit all the places that he did, because there are so many of them.
1: I mean, consider dis- considering distance traveled. Yeah, probably.
0: So, so we didn't even mention that number. According to Wikipedia, the distance Ibn Battuta traveled is one hundred seventeen thousand kilometers. Uh, Whereas Zheng he and Marco Polo, who we've both also featured before, are 50,000 kilometers and 24,000 kilometers, respectively. Which means that Ibn Battuta traveled farther than both of them combined.
1: Absolutely wild. Like, think of that for a moment. I am. It's wild. (laughs) (laughs) Have we even traveled that far? We drive to work every day. Does that count? How does that work? Does
0: it do (laughs) airplanes even count? Like,
1: yeah. Does that like break the rules?
0: Okay. What is, what is the average distance a person walks in their lifetime?
1: Right. I think that's important because like, oh, I guess it's not how much he's traveled. It's how much he's explored. Right. Like that's, that's the. It's, it's yeah. So it's, it's probably
0: more like distance between key places rather than like, you know,
1: does my Your house Fitbit steps? Does my house um, and the max down the road count as a key place? <laughs> I I I doubt it in this case. Damn. So, oh, a Damn person
0: shame. in their lifetime walks around hundred ten thousand miles according to sciencemadefun.net. Thanks, ScienceMadeFun.net. Um, uh, if you maintain So according to Snowbrains.com, so they're citing another sketchy site. Uh The average moderately active person takes around 7,500 steps a day. If you maintain that daily average and live until 80 years of age, you'll have walked about 216,262,500 steps in your lifetime. The average person with the average stride living until 80 will walk a distance of around 110,000 miles, which is the equivalent of walking about five times around the Earth right on the equator. So to compare that to our Ibn Battuta number from Wikipedia... Uh, which is seventy two thousand miles. Like it's further than that. But you have to remember, this is only recording, uh, Ibn Battuta's travel time. Like, all the wives' houses that he walked on na- pleasant nights with. Uh, you know, he married like twenty something times or something. Very cool. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, those aren't being counted to this number. So basically. Get your Fitbit and if you're not getting Ibn Battuta distances uh then what are you doing with your life? game, up your game. up your steps, get fit. Get fit. Travel to China on foot.
1: Wait, I want to <laughs> on foot. Walk through the Gobi Desert, all of it. <laughs> also like it
0: I should probably also clarify uh Ibn Battuta traveled a lot in the Indian Ocean too. Most of his Southeast Asia journeys are via the Indian Ocean, as well as his trip down the Swahili coast.
1: So, we talked about that. You know,
0: yeah, we like the Indian Ocean.
1: We and, like uh, the Swahili Ibn Battuta
0: saw it. He got as far as uh, Malacca. He visited the Sultanate of Malacca and then went up north through the Philippines to China.
1: I would like so, to, to discuss cool. the similarities in the words Swaziland and Swahili.
0: So, Swahili comes from Arabic. I know that. It's from Sawahil.
1: Oh, Sawaha sounds even more like Sawazel. Just Mm -hmm. saying. Throwing it out there. They sound very similar.
0: Swazi language is a Bantu language.
1: Hey! So, they
0: are related.
1: That's what we talked about in the second series!
0: Yeah. So that was, uh, yeah.
1: Well, uh, while we're talking about distances travel, (laughs) I want to talk about the Mongol Rally. Because I've been on that for a while now.
0: Okay, I've been... On that too. Like before you were talking about it, I've been talking about it with another friend for years, and now we gotta merge our groups.
2: I mean, so, no, yeah, I know. You brought it up
1: to me, and I joined <laughs> your group.
0: <laughs> oh, right, yeah.
1: I've since invited my friend who's a car guy, so he he can help us if our car breaks down.
0: Yeah, so so there's 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 a race called uh the Mongol Rally. Or it's not really a race, it's a it's a ten
1: thousand mile adventure. You might call it a rally.
0: Um, yeah. Where uh, you know, you drive you drive from like Europe to Mongolia and back.
1: You drive from London to uh to Mongolia. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, you don't necessarily go back. But you do it in like a crappy car.
1: Uh like a really crappy car. Like like Yeah. Yeah. Like you shouldn't spend more than 500 bucks on this car.
0: <laughs> and uh we've been we've been discussing this is like something that would be awesome to do.
1: Yes. Um because you know, if it if
0: obviously. it if it if if it if it occurs with us on it, um, I mean it'll occur nevertheless. But Oh we'll it's occurring. To, we'll have to give a historical tour and we'll have to talk about we'll have to talk about our uh anytime we cross the path of like Marco Polo or Ibn Battuta, that'll be a special point because we talk about Jesus. them so
1: much. We could do a full like that's like that's a two month trip. We could do a full like sixty part travelogue. <laughs> One every day. But what I wanted to do was, because uh, we're talking, we're talk, because we're talking, Ibn Battuta's travel. So what was in miles? It was what is it? Seventy seventy thousand miles. Yeah. So just for reference, the Mongol Rally, which is literally cross continents from London to Mongolia, right? Right. So if you drew drove today from Mon- London, UK to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, uh, it would it would be a 5,500 mile drive. So, just compare that to Ibn Battuta's distance. And that's like
0: optimized, right?
1: That's just an optimized driving route from London to Mongolia. And he traveled...
0: (laughs) What you have to remember is when it comes to routes, Ibn Battuta was not the optimizing sort. When you look at the map, he crosses over himself so many times
1: um, but in a smaller area than even that that distance like did he go to china he did he i'm went to Beijing. i forgot he went to beijing <laughs> he
3: visited
0: the, the yuan dynasty that's like a, a major like plot point years. that i totally just yeah. neglected
1: there um <laughs> <laughs> so but just for reference like from 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 the Muslim world, which isn't even as far west as, as the UK, but let's say, like, from Mali, because he went all the oh, way there. Oh, but he went right? from
0: Morocco, yeah, so... Yeah, yeah,
1: so Morocco, yeah, to Beijing. Let's do from Morocco to Beijing. This is important. This is research. <laughs> Morocco. Wait. Wait a minute.
0: Go Tangier, because Tangier was his city, his home city.
1: Tangier is my city. Right. Morocco
0: is my city. Al-Maghrib. <laughs> uh, medina tea.
1: All right. All right. So if I go just from Tangier to Ulaanbaatar, that immediately brings it up to a 10,700 kilometer. Wait, I need it in miles. God damn it, Canada. Miles. We've
0: been pretty inconsistently using these things. So We're yeah, talking
1: yeah. miles right now. Eighty seven Furlongs,
0: please. <laughs> what? Furlongs, please.
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, So 6,700 miles. And then if we switch it to Beijing... Uh, then we're not allowed into China because we just drove through a bunch of countries they don't like. What? Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, there actually isn't a road route. It just sends you on an airplane.
0: Yeah, you see, the problem here is um, going through Israel and then either Syria or Iraq. That ah. is the issue you're going
1: to run into. But, here. but when I had Mongolia, it drove through Spain. <laughs> what? <laughs> it went up through Europe when I went to Mongolia. Huh. China. Wacky. Stop playing ru- China's being a jerk. Alright. Let's get as close as we can. Let's say Mongolia's close enough. Yeah.
0: I wonder if you like can't drive into China. Is that a thing?
1: That, is China is wow. too communist
0: to let people over its border.
1: I'm too communist to give a fuck. <laughs> China, please. Uh, I can drag it to uh, the furthest it will bring me is uh, Choir Highway. No, I can go to the border of China. It will let me drive to the border of China, and if I drag the the point just across the border, it it just doesn't work. Yeah, China's borders are closed. Oh, it might be because of COVID. Oh, <laughs>
0: uh, that might also affect things right now. All
1: right, so right you wanna now. You want to know
0: something wild? You want to know something yeah, wild? A one-country road trip that you could do in a single country. You can drive from the border of Finland to the border of North Korea in Russia.
1: Yes, you can. <laughs> that is a wild trip just by itself. Absolutely. All right, so if you drove from Tangier to, let's say, like, basically like 100 kilometers out from Beijing, or 100 miles, I can't really, I'm just eyeballing it here, to 300 miles from Beijing. So we'll add that. So, okay, okay, okay. We'll round up to this is this is important scientific data so 7500 miles that that's that's the journey just to beijing from tangier in a and that's and that's a route that goes all the way north so that's not even directly through the the muslim world which would probably be a shorter trip it's all the way north to basically russia and then back down yeah wait no because the earth politics is in the way yeah politics is in the way
0: that's the rough part. That's the rough part about Israel being the country between Africa and Asia that you have to go through. <laughs> and then the fact that the neighbors that are all like between it and China don't like it.
1: Um, yep. But it's like, okay. You can't
0: make that crossing.
1: <laughs> if if ever Africa was a separate continent from a geopolitical sense, it would be now. <laughs> um, Just because of Israel. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's just like seventy five hundred miles. He traveled ten times that distance. I don't know how I don't know how he fit ten times that distance in, in, into his travels, but good on him.
0: I yeah. I I want to be Ibn Battuta. Like Same. He's he's kind of a jerk when you actually read his stuff. He just <laughs> I mean he, he has twenty wives,
1: so how'd that happen?
0: Uh so so <laughs> funny story <laughs> about that. Um basically apparently in the medieval Islamic world, um like Islamic jurists decided that it wasn't haram to like marry and divorce a wife. Like if you need a temporary wife, uh um, I'm I'm traveling, it's, like, so I need mutually temporary wives upon, while I'm while it has I'm to here. be like a mutually agreed upon relationship. And uh-huh. so Ibn Battuta, who who liked the women folk, and he often comments on the quality of women. Beautiful. So that's that's a. That's what's going on here. He takes like a whole bunch of different lives along the way. Uh, temporarily. As I, I heard he lives, takes a bunch of... Which you could guess is probably a way to get sex.
1: I, <laughs> I, I heard takes a bunch of lives along the way. <laughs> oh, that this... was the
0: Black Death, which followed him back. But <laughs> Oh, shit. No, he was, he was traveling through the Middle East uh, during the Black Death on the way home. I
1: like anyway. the idea of the Black Death just chasing him down, and he's just outrunning it.
0: Yeah. You know that, uh, in a connection to COVID mm-hmm. medieval Islam seems to have had some of the earliest, like quarantine orders in the world in the, uh, during the black death, like cities in the middle East often just said, like, you can't travel to the next town, which made it pretty difficult for like Ibn Battuta. But, you know, how do you, how do you really enforce that in a pre-modern world? Right. Like,
1: um, where are you from? Uh I not, about that. not the town over, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is pretty pretty forward thinking. Like you might not have germ theory of disease, but you do know that
1: it spreads you know, disease spreads. Yeah. And so miasma
0: or something, right? Or the, the wrath of God, which is sort of
1: <laughs> The Wrath of God spreads. <laughs> Did you let someone who's being punished by the wrath of God into your city? Well now the wrath of God is in your city too. Congratulations. <laughs>
0: I mean, there's certain people who think that hurricanes hit the south for that reason still. So, you know, Mm. anything can happen. (laughs) But, so, uh, yeah. Ibn Battuta. Speaking of the wrath of God.
1: Wrath of God, Um, yeah.
0: No, actually, I have an even better transition. So, uh, hit me. In Jerusalem, um, in East Jerusalem, there is an Ibn Battuta street. Uh, And I know because I used to hang out, like, right by there. Uh, basically, if you go east of the old city, there is this this nice little street named after Ibn Battuta. And there's also like a Salahaddin street near it and whatnot. Very cool. But actually, it's it's basically straight north of the old city. I wish Adin. my
1: streets were um, named after famous historical figures instead of just some random guy that paid for a road in like the 1800s that everyone doesn't <laughs> remember anymore.
0: Haruna Rashid is over there too. So is Nur ad-Din. Like. A lot of Arab heroes are over there, and the reason for that is that is the Arab part of town. Wow, really? Yeah. Wild. Why wild. is that the Arab part of town? Oh no, time for this discussion. All right. <laughs> so. Evan, I need you to do the song.
1: Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> um, <clears throat> The gospel. Man, I just. Okay. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm a letdown. I'm I'm being distracted by the Canadian weather that has just started assaulting my windows. Um uh, if I if <laughs> if, if Happy Fall. Yeah, honestly. Um if you hear if you hear what sounds like I don't know, children punching punching uh, glass behind me, that that's my that's my situation. Is this um, a sound
0: you're familiar with?
1: <laughs> the Gospel of Jacob <laughs>
0: All right, so where we left off, geez, uh, where we left off was the Second World War. Um, and after the Second World War, the Allies won. Thank God. Um, thank, thank And for a lot of people won.
1: Can we just commend um, the Allies for one minute here? Like, like let's just God. clap
0: for a second. Like, nice. Heroes. Um, <laughs> That was a that was a stressful few years, I bet. There. Oh yeah, there was a moment uh, where we thought we lost one. it,
1: but we're we're, we're good.
0: Um, essentially, after World War II, Britain maintained its holdings in Palestine and Jordan, which were often called Transjordan and Cisjordan uh, Basically, it's <laughs> which side <laughs> of the Jordan River are you on? <laughs> Evan, are you okay? Oh my God. Did you not? Do you not see the joke, Jacob? I see the joke. I'm not acknowledging it because it's funnier if I don't. <laughs> but you've already have,
1: so. Oh boy, no! That's hilarious. It's just, it's just Latin, Evan. It's just, you know what? No, nothing is Latin. <laughs> All is Esperanto.
0: That's true, and uh, <laughs> there's a street in Tel Aviv called a Zamenhof Street because everything is Esperanto. Yes. uh <laughs> What is Tel Aviv, you ask? So, as a, as another aside, this this episode is all asides. But really, what isn't yes. in this show? Correct. Um,
1: Wait, I'm going to aside your aside. Uh, Tel Aviv. <laughs> you you mentioned Tel Aviv so much that I thought Tel Aviv was the capital of of Israel when I was doing the capitals quiz, and it wasn't, and I was sad. <laughs> Moving on. So, what you just
0: brought up there is another source of contention. <laughs> Because many countries don't recognize Jerusalem as being like rightfully Israeli, and so view Tel Aviv as the capital of Israel. Amazing. And so Israel does not, but a lot of consulates are here. I should I should say here because since the last major episode, I have moved to Tel Aviv. Um, so
1: how's it going in Tel Aviv? Tell the people it's going
0: well. It's under quarantine, so like a lot of things are closed.
1: And what's and what's uh, your exact address? Beach is nice.
0: Um, what's your social security my, number? My my credit card number is one two three four five six seven. Jacob, 8, Jacob, Jacob.
1: It was a joke. 9, don't 0, don't. 1, 2, oh shit! Oh shit!
0: Three four five six. <laughs> <laughs> so, <tell the> <laughs> so yeah, what is Tel Aviv? um mm. tel aviv was founded as a city in 1906 well 1909 technically there was like a settlement there and then it was sort of incorporated in 1909 and tel aviv was this major center of zionist settlement so like there's a city to the south of tel aviv that you might view as a suburb and now is kind of part of tel aviv that's um, much older, called Jaffa, uh, Biblical Jaffa, which is actually the oldest continually, well, not continually, but oldest operating port in the world, fun fact. And there's a gate from Ramses II erected there. Um, Tel oh, Aviv wild. is much newer. Tel Aviv is from the early 1900s. Less uh, wild. And it was set up by Zionist colonists wild um, again. on the coast of uh, <laughs> what was then, it was then the Ottoman Empire, and very shortly after that became British-Palestine and...
1: Cursed. Essentially. Not Palestine, the British part. Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what stance are you taking here? I think. <laughs> Anti-Britain or anti-Palestine? Yes. I mean, you could do Wait, both. No. The, the Israelis did that in 1947, but we'll talk about that. Mm. Um. Anyway, Tel Aviv became like the sort of center for Zionist activities, and future future discussions of the region would heavily involve Tel Aviv as a center point for for the discussion. And one thing you've got to realize after World War II is Britain still had all these unfulfilled promises from World War I. They promised please. a Zionist state. Uh, they would promised an Arab state. These things overlapped. World War II came and went. World War II meant a whole lot of Zionist immigration to uh, Palestine, which you can imagine suddenly made things more complicated for the British who were like, oh, okay, so uh, we now have to accommodate the misplaced victims of a genocide who have now come back here and we promised some of them a state earlier. Now there's more of them the arabs are also angrier uh
1: and also we 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 definitely have a uh, a lot of sympathy we feel like we probably owe these guys for uh, not stepping in earlier with that whole uh germany thing
0: yeah um and and on top of that on top of that both of these groups are pissed because <laughs> the the arabs the arabs are now under foreign occupation their country's been carved up and put in under foreign powers so you know that's a problem. Mm. Um, the British literally limited Jewish occupation via the white paper during the Holocaust, meaning that many peop- many Jews in uh, Europe couldn't actually immigrate during the height of the horrors of World War II, which means that those that did get there and those who like, were related to people who didn't make it, they're pissed. So basically... Basically the whole region is looking about ready for two separate independence wars.
1: How many times do you think that's happened throughout history? Like two separate oh, groups in the same place trying to fight for independence at the same time that are in complete opposition to each other.
0: Definitely definitely a few different times, but like
1: I imagine, yeah.
0: This is this is like like this is this is the recent one. Yeah. Um so it had been discussed before that they should like partition it into two states back in 19, 19- as early as 1937, so before World War II. The government was basically like, man, this is, this is ridiculous. And so it just kind of got tabled. But now it looked a little more necessary. Mm-hmm. And Britain, Britain was like, I don't want to solve this. But thankfully, there is a new organization founded right after the war whose job is to solve these things. And so the issue was handed to the United Nations. And uh, this was basically like the UN's debut. They had just been founded by the Allies after World War II to facilitate world peace, because, you know, that's nice.
1: Um, That is nice. And I, for one, simp the UN, personally. You know what
0: you're about to not simp? The partition plan. Probably. (laughs) Yeah, so the, the, the 1947 partition plan, which I am about to... Spill into the uh, server, so so Evan can comment on this. Either mm. is objectively terrible, and I ah I, uh, yes. I've been I've been you know trying to be sensitive to opinions, but like,
1: uh mm, yeah, that is objectively I... terrible. That is an objectively terrible <laughs> partition. Point: Are there two separate points where there's like joint owned land, so they can cross into through, to each other their own borders, or like yes why
0: <laughs> so so the u.n partition plan basically said um border gore the, please it is it is absolute border gore the area around gaza as much as like the southwestern negev uh the, the the area of the west bank and the neighborhood of jerusalem uh as well as some of the north uh like where nahariya is etc was supposed to be an arab state whereas the galilee Uh, the strip of coast where Tel Aviv and Jaffa are, and basically the whole south um, was supposed to be a Jewish state, with Jerusalem under direct UN control.
1: I I do approve of that. (laughs) That's the only part I approve of.
0: Looking at this disgusting thing, disgusting thing, you can see why it didn't happen. Its borders are completely untenable. They're tangled up with each other. Uh, Both both suggested states are essentially like um three separate pieces
1: you should <laughs> you should you should put i mean it's not like it's better now but anyway you should put that in it's uh a
0: lot. I, don't, I don't know
2: you but should like, put
1: that you should put that in announcements and ask people to to comment on how objectively terrible it is <laughs> but yes this is this is absolutely ab- absolutely horrid um is there like reasoning like is there documented reasoning behind the decisions that led to this uh eczema looking skin rash on a country I
0: I I mean there's on one hand there has to be on the other hand I'm afraid <laughs> I mean, to look uh, but what I believe it is what I've read before is um, the short, the short form which mm. is that this map has to do with a term that will come up a lot in the discussion of Israel and Palestine for good and bad reasons, Um, facts on the ground, which is like people here are this or that, which was not always that true. A lot of the Negev, like in the south, the southern desert that was being suggested for uh, to be part of the Jewish state, um, I have to be careful to reflect, referring to them as Israel and Palestine because neither of those existed yet in their current names. It was just the suggested Arab state and the suggested Jewish state. Yeah. Um, Like much of the desert was like relatively unpopulated and it was seen as, okay, the Zionists can set up shop there. Uh, Whereas the coast was where a lot of the Zionists were already. Um, Tel Aviv was there. Uh, But you have to remember also there were... Um, like Arabs and Zionists all over the place. Yeah, uh, Arabs more more specifically. They were less concentrated in specific areas because they'd, um, uh, you know, they hadn't just recently immigrated in large numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oh, I already got a response.
1: Uh, got a couple responses.
2: Yeah.
0: So it wasn't necessarily hated by one user who says it was population based um, Oh, and here starts the arguments. I'll look back at that later so <laughs> uh, <laughs> So it should come as no surprise to you that well a lot that, that the Arab uh, leadership flat out refused this. They were like, no the arabs a lot of
1: yep the they arabs had refused. Jerusalem. No, they don't. The
0: UN has Jerusalem.
1: Yeah, but uh, it's inside of them. Fair enough. Enclaves. A weird
0: way to word <laughs> it, but um, the real Jerusalem is in us all. Uh, <laughs> what if the real Jerusalem was the friends we made along the way?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, the real uh, Jerusalem is the Tel Avivs that we founded along the way.
0: Huh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're very different, Evan. Uh, <laughs> I was making a Capitals anyway. joke. Get on it. Anyway. <laughs> okay uh
0: so this this was rejected by the arabs many of the jews were a little more excited about it after all it was you know their chance to get a state but like the arabs were like no i'm not giving up a whole bunch of land that we thought we'd have in independence especially for what we see as uh you know recent immigrants to this land mm-hmm. uh, what right do they have in the face of our self-determination and so yeah. That got pushed to the side. As time went on, it quickly became apparent that if the Jews wanted a state, they weren't going to be able to get it through the UN or working together with the Arabs who saw that land as theirs. And so there was a sort of emergency action that was to be taken. And that emergency action was the declaration of the state of Israel. And so on May 12th, 1948, this sort of Congress convened of the Zionists and they convened to vote on independence. And six of the 10 members supported declaring independence essentially immediately. And so uh, on May 14th, 1948, it was declared in a grand document that Israel would be an independent state. In Tel Aviv, so there's if you look up if you look up pictures from the declaration, David Ben Gurion, who would go on to become the first prime minister of Israel and a very long-lasting prime minister of Israel, as well as one of the founding fathers, obviously, um, he read out the declaration to a crowd under under a big picture of Theodore Herzl, the father of Zionism, um, and there's like an iconic photo of this of uh, this creative moment but it's also a very tense moment because they know what they're doing is in uh, defiance of other ongoing international discussions and they know that what they're doing is about to start a conflict
1: oh it's uh, called the west bank because it's on the west bank of the dead sea i finally get it now
0: of the jordan river but
1: yes god damn it <laughs> i was so close but it I'll is take of it. course
0: cis Jordan. The Jordan on this side. <laughs> <Jordan>. um, <laughs> from a European perspective. Ah, yes. Know, that's the closer side. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Trans Jordan is what we now just call Jordan. Um, so there you go.
1: Good to know. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. Everyone signs the declaration and immediately, if you go to the Wikipedia article Aftermath, under the, under the Aftermath title, it says Main Article 1948 Palestine War. Because after declaring independence there was what was essentially to the outside world was essentially a civil war yeah as um this new jewish state basically started pushing outwards and taking control of land so that it could defend itself be a viable entity etc and real quick i'm going to talk about names because i just realized the hardest part of discussing this war, I thought about this a lot, of, a lot ahead of time, but I wasn't really sure when to introduce it. I'll make that now. There are about three different names that this war is called. And which one uh-huh. you call it depends on your political stance. Okay. So internationally, it's usually called the 1947 to 1949 Palestine War or the 1948 Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Or not conflict, but war. Um, yeah, Which is that's a sort poetic, of neutral title. Diplomatic. Yeah, that's it's, pretty diplomatic. It's a very neutral title. Here in Israel, it's called uh, Milchamet uh, Ha'atzma'ut, The War of Independence. I mean... It has the same status that, like, the the War of Independence for the United States has, etc. This I mean, great founding moment. Fair uh, enough, fair enough. When foreign powers were were beat by this upstart nation that, that proved it could stand by itself, proved it could govern itself, proved it could fight, and ultimately willed itself into existence from politicians and military leaders and soldiers
1: pushing this dream. The Jews finally did it. The madmen.
0: Right. (laughs) Then, if you go over to the West Bank, it is referred to as al-Nakba. Al-Nakba is the Arabic word for the catastrophe
1: oh my Um, god that is very political (laughs)
0: they're both very political right
1: i mean because one one is like i get it it's it's now that Israel's a country a very real very established country like that is their founding moment it's their you know i get it the other one's just like like, this is a catastrophe this is the worst thing that ever happened
0: (laughs) it's it's a great way to frame what was essentially the triumph of one of these groups and the utter defeat of the other. Yeah. Uh, for one, it's it's this moment of national pride, of history of self determination. For the other, it is a moment where uh, seemingly everything was lost. Well, and this, so,
1: this is at a time when Britain still controls the area, right? Yes, but they're lo-
0: actively losing it to the fact that there's rebellions and the fact that uh, the Israelis have just openly created their state and are controlling them there's a reason My... it's the war of independence for Israelis Yeah, it's not because they necessarily remember it as fighting the Arabs that was involved but that title emphasizes the fact that they are asserting their independence under Britain and yeah. Britain will eventually like Britain will actually end up having a very minor role in this it just kind of
1: hands off that's kind of my thought. That's kind of my thought process is like the framing it as a catastrophe when they lost something. But in reality, neither side had anything because the UK was running it. And it seems like Israel was just the first side to revolt successfully. You know what the I mean?
0: Reason, the reason it's remembered as the catastrophe is for other reasons, which I will get to. Okay. Uh, and it has to do with the fact that this was, to put it frankly, a war that involved a number of atrocities. Um. Hmm. And that's that's not a unidirectional thing. There were atrocities in both directions, yeah. especially as you know, unorganized guerrilla tactics, etc., from both from both Jewish militias and Arab militias go in and commit terrible things against one another. What's what's wild is um, the the Zionist movement for how disorganized it might have seemed in like you know bringing new people from all over to uh to the Holy Land at once. Their leadership actually managed to do very very well in establishing control. And I don't want to go over I don't want to go over like little military details and stuff because yeah. that's not my thing. But basically, they did well enough that international notice happened instantly. Like, wow. um, Israel, Israel was invaded in 1948 by several countries. There yeah. was, um, Egypt, Transjordan, which is now Jordan, um, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon all pulled in in 1948.
1: I'm glad that we've progressed to the point where we could just call Jordan, Jordan, without having to discuss their I'm going to stop making that joke now. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs>
0: Uh, as well as uh, what was called the Holy War Army, which was basically uh, a Palestinian group that uh, basically said so. They they reframed the war as a jihad, essentially, yeah, um, and said we have to preserve our independence against people who are threatening our holy sites, et cetera.
1: I would say this this is a good definition of a struggle. I think that's an apt uh, use of the word on this situation. They were probably struggling.
0: Yeah, it was. There was a struggle um, to to avoid getting too much into the 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 like on the ground details because we don't have a map here. It doesn't 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 work very well to do that anyway. There was there was air involvement. There was guerrilla warfare. Uh, basically, all the fundamentals of modern warfare uh, were used in this in this conflict and. It came, it came to a certain degree of international attention. Uh, in fact, a certain President Harry Truman um, in 1948 took in interest in the creation of the State of Israel, and so did Joseph Stalin. Basically, immediately, the U.S. and the Soviet Union both said, okay, we recognize Israel, which, as you can imagine, on the international front was an absolute boon to Israel as a country. The fact that the two global superpowers not only recognized its absolute risky move against Britain and against the the Arab states around it, but like also, you know, legitimized it in a way. In fact, Truman very much sent aid and used to apparently used to brag that he created Israel. It's like a thing. (laughs) Truman was very proud of his his support for Israel. And says it's like, aha, I created the Jewish state.
1: Amazing. Actually, <laughs> so that's amazing. a fun
0: thing you can dive into if you ever want to. Harry drops, bombs, Truman. Mm. Always, always changing the world. Very cool. <laughs> it's already, I've already gone on quite a bit. I don't, I don't want to get into too many DSLs just because it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot to understand. And I know that I will get, I know that I will get questions on individual details anyway.
1: But. <laughs> Is it time to read spicy takes from, from the uh, discord? On this situation now.
0: I'm getting a whole lot of, like, pings and stuff. (laughs) So, the reason it's called the Nakba is because in 1948, more than 700,000 Palestinian Arabs either fled Palestine or uh, were forcefully expelled. Because the Zionist forces often saw populations behind their lines of arab populations as potential security threats and so they often removed them there are a number of villages throughout modern israel that were essentially evacuated of people and then destroyed yeah and when i say seven hundred thousand, like that's a huge number that, that is a huge number yeah absolutely gargantuan and importantly that is approximately half of the arab population of pre-war palestine so when when it's when it's known to palestinians as the nakba as the catastrophe it's because it is it holds the same the same level of like cultural trauma as like the irish potato famine does for irish diaspora and it created a diaspora of its own in the countries around it if you if you go to Jordan today, you will find a whole bunch of people who have descent in Palestine. Many of them will introduce themselves as a Palestinian. Yeah. Uh, you can go to other Arab countries as well, and that's similar or places outside of Israel, like the United States. There is still a Nakba Mem- Remembrance Day in uh, Palestine, uh, as well as elsewhere, and so this is this is the mixed legacy of this war, I guess. Is um, on one hand, uh, the Israelis pulled off impossible odds. In that, it's uh,
1: really wild.
0: <laughs> they, it is, it's it's um, it is the story of like a small group of settlers defying international will and ending up with international recognition within and, a year and um,
1: international will
0: <laughs> and yeah, getting help, switching switching sides uh or switching the stances through force of arms of the international community and defying defying the forces that wanted to deny the Jewish state and yeah. um
1: might makes right
0: to be to be fair to the zionists and uh David Ben-Gurion who by all means was a uh capable leader and an intelligent leader and he looms large in Israel. Um, in fact, I'd argue that that only Menachem Begin really looms comparable as a prime minister in Israeli history as uh, David Ben-Gurion. And if 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 I felt like I wasn't already running long, I'd talk more about him. Uh, he used to stand on his head. It's like a funny thing. If you see pictures of David Ben-Gurion, he'd stand on his head because it helped him think.
1: Um, what?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, like you could find pictures. Look up David Ben-Gurion upside down.
1: Amazing. Um, but
0: uh he was he was an immigrant from Russia who basically
1: of course he was Russian,
0: <laughs> yeah, he basically came to came to Israel and said like i'm gonna do my part, and uh ended up living for much of his life on uh kibbutz in the Negev um just out in the middle of the desert farming, but he turned out to be a a pretty good leader for them so so yeah, yeah, and what I would argue is whatever stance you take on the 47, 48, 49 war, it's usually called the 48 war because that's when the Arab powers actually like invaded as well. Whatever stance you take on it, this is the moment that both the Israeli and Palestinian national identities were actually bored. Uh, and they, and that's, and that's why we can transition now from saying um, Jewish and Arab to uh, Israeli and Palestinian, because there was a lot of discussion among the Zionists what they would call a state once they founded it. Uh, Israel was not a foregone conclusion, um, but it definitely became Israel the moment they declared independence and declared the State of Israel, Medinat Israel. And the Palestinian identity was really born from the scars of the war. Like there were Arabs in Palestine, but were they that different from Jordanians, etc.? The moment they uh, were either relocated or ended up in lands that would later be occupied. They had a new history, a new um, identity. If you now settled in Jordan and you were of Palestinian descent, you could say, I'm Palestinian, and that was like an ethnicity because you were from a place and you had a certain history, which had to do with this exact conflict.
1: Yeah, I guess that Um, really is just the root of their ethnicity at this point.
0: Yeah, so... The Forty Eight War created two ethnicities um, Wild. in an absolute dramatic event that is key to understanding the modern Middle East. And yeah, that is, that is my introduction, my crash course, using as few specific details and as many general broad trends sweeping. as possible.
1: <laughs> as <laughs> many broad sweeping accusations of people as possible.
0: I mean, I hope it doesn't come off as too accusatory. but No, I don't think These it. are like the major points that you We're just talking facts here, Jacob.
1: Yeah. Facts. Um, yeah. So, so to finish this off, Jacob, I think I just wanted to point out that we managed to start a conversation about the Israeli-Palestine conflict on our server amongst various people, uh, one of which is Muslim and one of which is, is, is Jewish. And uh, they didn't argue... We did it. We've <laughs> we've solved the we've solved the conflict, Jacob. Through the through the power of of, of podcasting. through <laughs> the power of shitposting. posting, we've solved the Israeli-Palestine conflict. <laughs> we gotta bring this to the UN right now.
0: <laughs> I also like someone reacted to the map, the UN partition plan with based spelled out in emojis, and so I, I guess it's not I guess it's not all that bad. But
1: like I had a couple people say that it was alright, actually, yeah.
0: I yeah, some people some people think it's all right. I, I think like looking at it, there's there's two very untenable states. That's what I don't like about it. Uh I mean there's other things to not like about it, but that's like what I see as the obvious issue. <laughs> like yeah. at first glance.
1: Then again, anyway. if you look at the current map and who controls what, it's 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 worse. It is currently worse.
0: But, but here's the thing. <laughs> it's it's more tenable borders except for the fact that you couldn't really create a palestinian state in both gaza and the west bank that easily
1: um yeah i don't i don't know what the plan for that was or why that happened it seems a little silly tbh
0: i mean you could take a pessimistic attitude say and say that's by design or you could say that like well this is unfortunate (laughs) um uh what's up with uh charlie savage
1: (laughs) all right um (laughs) <laughs> uh, here here's a weird one. Uh, so Jacob, I love starting it this way. I love I love like asking you random <laughs> questions to lead into it. All right. I I don't know why I feel like I do this a lot, but it's like my preferred method. You do, it,
0: but it's kind of fun because I have no idea what Charlie Savage is, and I am ready to answer whatever question you uh, throw at
1: me. You were right; it's a wrestle. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so. I knew it. He did Brazilian jiu jitsu. <laughs> oh, that would make this story even more wild. Um, so, so Jacob, let's say you're just let's say you're a sailor. Have you yeah. ever been? Have you ever been a sailor, Jacob?
0: I've I've been on many a boat. Yes, I go Very fishing cool. from time to time on the ocean.
1: Very cool. So let's say you're a sailor, right? And uh, this is in let's say this is in the early 1800s, and you're a sailor, and and. As, as we both know, the, the Pacific is full of island peoples. Which,
0: oh, crap, I'm dying of cholera.
1: Yes. Sorry, yes, okay. unfortunate. Um, <laughs> and um, let's say you let's say your ship wrecks let's say your ship wrecks on, on an island, or not even wrecks let's say you just end up on some random Pacific island, and you're a sailor and and you're just there, and this is an uncolonized island, you know, there's just tribes that still exist in these places. What, what would you do? as as said sailor just vibing on these islands now. What what would your plan be? What would you do with your time?
0: Hmm. I mean probably make a fire and figure out how to get out.
1: <laughs> See, well, here's here's what Mr Here's what Mr. Charlie Savage did, alright? So Charlie Savage. He 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 was an ambitious man apparently. He 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 was a British sailor. That's that's what he was. And essentially at cert- at a certain point in time, he was on Tonga. Around eighteen oh seven. This is one of the islands of the Pacific. It is currently a nation. It's Tonga time. Anyway.
0: Nice. Former capital of the Tui Tonga Empire. Which is hell like a, yeah. The largest Polynesian state. Exactly.
1: So he took a, a, a boat from from Tonga to Fiji called called the Eliza. And unfortunately. Eliza! Yes, literally that. No, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh unfortunately though, however, the Eliza wrecked. They wrecked in Fiji. Which was uh Oh damn. The Eliza was constru this is a total aside. The Eliza was constructed and registered at Providence, Rhode Island. It might actually be named after her.
3: <laughs> hmm. I wonder.
1: I wonder. I doubt it, but it's possible. Uh anyway, she carried a crew of ten people. And she she was being she was being brought from Tonga to Fiji. She was carrying some people, one of which was Charlie Savage. And unfortunately, she she wrecked near a Nairai Island, which is an island of Fiji. So, this man Charlie Savage happened to be fluent in both Tongan and Fijian languages. Which man, what a chat! What a score! Right? So, uh, he also had a. Well, I'm glad for... I did that Duolingo. Honestly, though. <laughs> <laughs> he also had a proclivity for violence. And basically, Everyone after knows. wrecking on Fiji, he very quickly insinuated himself in the company of the Bao Island chieftain, uh, Naulivu. Naulivu, Yeah, Naulivu. I said it right. Um, and he did this thing where, essentially, from the wreckage of the Eliza, he salvaged a number of muskets and then demonstrated it to the Baoan leaders. And this is, this is the point in where Charlie has decided... He is going to become a mercenary with his crew of seemingly like 10 dudes or whoever survived that, uh, that, that, that shipwreck and, uh, created a little mercenary company of sailors, of beachcombers, if you will. And it is apparently, allegedly the first time firearms were ever used in Fiji. So there's these Fiji chieftains that have their little, their, their, their conflicts and on the islands of Fiji during this time. There is a tiny little mercenary company of just, like, sailors that, ru- that have muskets <laughs> that are just there. And, like, this is, like, an actual important fighting force that dramatically changed the events of, of tribal warfare on the islands during that time. Wow. And this, it's just, because it, usually when we're talking about mercenary companies in history... The two, like the two variations of it, I could think of are professional mercenary companies that exist, and you know, go between nations and and do their thing, like the Italian, the Swiss, like the ones you think of,
0: condottieri.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Condottieri, Condottier. yeah, exactly. And on the other side, sometimes you'll have, and they're not, they're less so mercenaries, but um, you'll have, you'll have essentially uh, tribal bands which will fight for other sides, like in 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 the Americas or or in other colonized places in order to not necessarily monetary gain but in order to secure the favor of certain european powers uh, for the in, in order to protect them right mm-hmm. They aren't exactly mercenaries but that's the other kind of way i would i would frame it at least uh i i, I don't i can't think of another case of 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 mercenaries where it's just like eight dudes <laughs> i can't think of any case where it's eight dudes essentially they're just mercenaries four tribal bands being that... the
0: boys upping the violence of an island society.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. So he led this small group of beachcombers as mercenaries in service of Nalivu and essentially they very very quickly showed their worth in fights for obvious reasons. Uh apparently the first time muskets were used on these islands and and no one else had muskets except for these like these this very small group of people. So there are also a couple other reasons uh, One, they lack the cultural inhibitions of Fijians So Fijians would not target Opposing chieftains at the outset of a battle They would fight with their soldiers first, you know um, These guys They don't have that They don't have that inhibition So they take their guns and they immediately shoot The opposing side's chieftains at the start of a fight um, That really <laughs> That really set them apart And it made them effective I mean, um, that'll
0: do it Like,
1: uh, Yeah, that will do it <laughs> I, that was something, actually, like, even during the conquest of the Americas, um, a lot of times, like, Native Americans, as far as I'm aware, I, I learned this in school, was they wouldn't shoot each other's chieftains, but so chieftains would always wear the big headdresses. Uh, when Europeans came, they would just shoot the chieftain because they knew exactly who the leader was.
0: That's Wait. also what the American revolutionaries used against the British very often. they They didn't care for, like, traditional warfare where... You, you show off in open fields and stuff. They just walk through the forests and like try to assassinate commanders on the regular. Legendary. The British absolutely hated it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Guerrilla tactics work, man. Yeah. Uh so yeah, these guys uh were also obviously uh individually skilled with muskets, as you would be if you were a sailor in in the eighteen hundreds. You'd probably know how to work a musket. So <laughs> They essentially prove themselves as a violent and capable force in the Fijian tribal warfare. Essentially, Savage is credited now with ensuring the dominance of, of the Bao Island you know, like, tribes. Like, like, he is credited with them <laughs> rising to power, just because he had, like, five guns, essentially. <laughs> and no one else had guns. I hope
0: he had quite a bit of ammo, because imagine if he, like, ran out and, uh... You know, he's like, "Oh, sorry, boom." The, sorry, the gun doesn't work anymore. Uh, I help. hope you still hire me. <laughs>
1: Bye. Yeah, honestly. So, um, there's actually a lot of stories surrounding surrounding Savage regarding kind of things he did. So, one thing he did, he's credited with just literally just making an arrowproof structure that he would just build outside <laughs> of his enemies' fortifications, so that he could just fire at them with impunity. So, I, I just imagine like him putting up a small wall with a slit in it and just just outside of like the enemy's the enemy's walls and they couldn't do anything about it cuz he could he could just unload on them with his, with their guns. They they the arrows are never going to hit them.
0: You know the best part for him? He doesn't even have to be good at shooting. He just has to have a gun and he could be like, "Oh yeah, it's just kind of <laughs> just kind of off sometimes, you know."
2: Yeah, honestly. <laughs> like,
1: no.
0: like there's there's no skill to compare with. He just has a gun.
1: Just has <laughs> a gun. That's it. That's all he needs, man anyone with a gun could be charlie savage but charlie savage is he's, charlie he's, Savage. he's
0: like that gremlin at the end of uh end of the first or second gremlins movie i don't remember just has a gun it's just <laughs> shooting it everywhere
1: um. guns man they they they, <laughs> they give you an advantage who knew so um other accounts of his lethality depict his victims were so numerous that townspeople would literally pile up the bodies of his victims and shelter behind them wow and yeah, like that. That's apparently like how many people he killed with his muskets, and also that the 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 stream beside one village ran red with blood. So he he's called Charlie Savage for a reason, I suppose. I guess hey.
0: uh, this this sounds like the sort of video game that would sell well
1: and get terrible reviews. You know,
0: <laughs> like the the sort where like ah yes. You're on an island and you've got a gun and you've got to take your small group of people and turn the tide of battle. And then people are like, isn't this like an inherently colonialist narrative? And uh, <laughs> they'll be like, yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, just,
1: just, <laughs> yes. That's it. It absolutely is. And we're okay with that. I mean, wait, what? I thought you didn't like
0: the British. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nani? Um, so We had this discussion anyway uh so after all of this forest services savage was essentially accorded a certain amount of prestige and rewards uh from uh, nalivu and although the scope and the magnitude kind of 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 what he was awarded are, are very sensationalized uh, what it is said he had he did get Um, and what is said about him, and it's very hard to confirm, like, it's probably not true, all of it, or to the extent, is that he had numerous wives because of his help, uh, influence on local politics, and that he even became a cannibal chief in his own right. Uh,
0: (laughs) Charlie Savage out here eating people on his island paradise.
1: Yeah, right? (laughs) Like, and part of the reason why, like, these stories are considered probably not true, one of which because the cannibalistic tendencies of these chieftains in of itself is heavily disputed to begin with
0: <laughs> um wait what
1: are our what are our
0: sources on charlie savage like why do we know about him did he write a book afterwards or
1: uh i don't actually know hmm. but the references here we've got the historiography horse storyography of charles savage we got the cambridge history of pacific islanders the narrative and successful result of the voyage of the south seas i, I think it's just
0: did charlie ever leave the island
1: Ah well, I'm gonna get to that, okay, yeah, so uh there's a a later event known as the events of of Dylan's Rock or events, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on, but the low and short of it is his guys were surrounded at a certain point in some conflict, okay there's a siege and and there it was, it was there was compromised and a, in a certain way they were surrounded so Savage suggested that they just break and run. they're like, let's just get out of here let's not do it, but he was dismissed, he's like, no, we're not doing that so, and even uh, one guy threatened to shoot the first man who attempted to run, so it was not happening (laughs) (laughs) so, so, uh, using a lull in the fighting, uh this guy Dylan decided to use a, this as an attempt to parlay, and they sent Charlie down to talk to the enemy tribe who had them surrounded and, and try to convince them to just let us go. It'll be fine. And essentially, Dylan, the guy who I just mentioned, got so exasperated, or sorry, other way around. The tribes got so exasperated by Dylan not coming down to to talk with Savage because Dylan was like another leader uh, at the time. Uh, the, the tribe got so, so annoyed that Dylan was not coming down to talk to them. And then, apparently, another defender actually tried to run away and escape. And, like, a combination of those two things, they just decided to attack. And they just swarmed Savage. So Savage was just down there, talking to them, vibing. And because some guys up on the hill were being assholes, (laughs) the people he was talking to got pissed off and just, like, jumped him. (laughs) And that's how Savage died. (laughs) Oh. Yeah.
2: Poor
0: Savage. You Uh, know, I'm I'm gonna put a conspiracy theory out there. Okay. They wanted him gone. Like, long before that. And Probably. I feel like that's that's not a, like, shocking thing for me to suggest. But, like, I don't think it is. I, if there's yeah, a guy yeah. out there with that much power who's clearly a foreigner in your local politics and, like, a threat if he turns around, there's going to be a lot of people who want you dead. And Probably. I'm going to co- go with a wild guess that, like, Charlie Savage was killed very much on purpose in a premeditated moment. That is my take. Oh.
1: <laughs> You know what? You're probably right. Oh, I finally saw I finally saw who Dylan was. Alright, so Dylan was a third mate of, of Charlie's crew. There we go. Peter Dylan.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah, sorry. I, I missed that when I was reading before. So that's who the Dylan guy is. Now that you got more background <laughs> info. Um but yeah, you're right. They probably did want to kill Charlie for those reasons. Uh, you wanna know how they killed him when they swarmed him while he was unarmed? They, they drowned... tell it was like sharp teeth. They drowned him in a well oh yeah which there's a lot of questions that come up from that did they tie something to his ankles and like hang him upside down in the water did they just throw him in the well like wells are pretty deep how do you drown someone Charlie's in in the well like can't they swim (laughs) like there's multiple I have multiple questions about this did they tie stuff to to his ankles and then throw him in like like the mob I I, I'm confused but there's no there's no further explanation here so
0: (laughs) I mean to be fair it probably wasn't a like It was probably like a second-hand story by the time it got to...
1: Ah, yes. So I actually... So the last sentence here actually does uh, give me shed some light on on something that you questioned, which is uh, Dylan goes on to describe cannibalistic practices and rituals that were involved with Savage and others' bodies. Uh, But those details have been disputed by others. So Dylan was a first-hand account of a lot of these events himself because he survived. Okay. Yeah.
0: Did he, like, go back to England or something?
1: I don't know. Let's open his wiki page and find out All right, what happened. to Dylan. I would be
0: interested to know like what happens. Like I know, like, you know, the Donner party that famously crossed, went along the California trail and like got stuck in the Rocky mountains and performed cannibalism. Yeah. One of the leaders of that I know went on to like found a restaurant in San Francisco. And I find that hilarious. Um,
3: <laughs>
0: uh, I want to know what happened to Dylan in this case. Like, does he just go back home and like live a chill life? And he's like, yeah. I used to be involved in tribal warfare in the Pacific. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, he went. Don't do that, kids. He 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 just eventually made his way to France, All
2: and right. then
1: and then he published narrative and successful result, or published. It's in quote. The book is called. He published his and then italicized narrative and successful result. I guess that's the name of the book he published, but um. Yeah, he went to France, and he published a book on it. Nice. So, there you go. That is that. Uh, I, not as cool as wow. what you suggested, but,
0: you know. No, it's much cooler. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting, but, like, hearing about a shipwrecked sailor-gone uh, warlord um, extraordinary. <laughs> not even a warlord, just, like, a one-man or eight-man army. Um of sailors, led by some guy who, by all means, sounds insane. Um,
2: <laughs>
0: uh, that was not what I expected. I was like, okay. This is clearly not the name of a fan- fancy person. Oh, no, This is no Baron de Montesquieu. This is Charlie Savage.
1: Charlie like, who Savage. Who could Charlie
0: Savage be? I would never have gotten to that answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Charlie Savage is a legend, and he will go down in history as that that guy that that really screwed up Fiji politics. <laughs>
0: I yeah. I I need a movie of that guy. I don't need a video game because I don't want to know the kind of people that would play that, but I do I do. <laughs> I mean we we were exce- we were suggesting Assassin's Creed games in the gaming chat in our Discord server, which everyone should join by the way. Uh I you can find the yes. link on the subreddit
1: and the Patreon subreddit, link. yes. Uh, um yes, that too. You just look up Prodigy Through Time, you'll find it.
0: Yeah uh join that uh we talk about assassin's creed a lot uh i've only played one <laughs> game but evan is a big fan so you know it comes up. yes i do think Charlie this would be a good Assassin's creed way when...
1: <laughs> yes i think it's a good idea i think it would work that sounds awesome <laughs> not gonna lie uh we'll make there him are the main... no
0: templars you're just stuck
1: <laughs> we'll make him the main villain or something <laughs> you're just there are no templars you're just no 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 no
0: No, charlie's going around and you're playing as um you're playing as uh people who want to get rid of him yeah the chief no you're playing as dylan and dylan is hired (gasps) there you go by other chiefs to get rid of charlie that's what it is i love it
1: it i'm in it let's do it (laughs) um but yeah he's numerous writers and historians have like kind of like written stuff about him he's got like an interesting influence on that area of the world apparently but uh i mean i
0: bet he has a literary influence like i'd love to know oh, yeah. if um like robinson crusoe is before that but like i don't know i would i would love to see if like the genre of like deserted island literature changes
1: after charlie savage
0: like were people aware enough in the literary sphere for that to be a thing like, i need to know i don't know
1: oh i found the full name the full name of of dylan's book was narrative and successful result of a voyage in the south seas there you go successful (laughs) result right (laughs) oh yes so successful of course um so yeah that's charlie savage all right i i i he's a he's a real savage i'll I'll give him give him that savage hashtag savage Oh, recent events, Jacob. <clears throat> mm. Speaking oh. of speaking of political shenanigans, I guess.
0: <laughs> in recent events, so so currently it is uh, November 2020 for those listening late. Um, a mm. week ago, was it two weeks ago at this point? I guess. It was
1: Honestly, this it month. feels like it happened uh, yesterday.
0: I I left the news on for five days straight, playing in my room.
1: Um, <laughs> Jacob was mad for the first time in history. What oh, yeah. You know?
0: uh, for 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 reasons, I reported directly to the server that I was angry, which is something they had never seen before. Um, <laughs> so, anyway. Um, <laughs> for a quick recap of what happened. Oh, boy. A certain Donald J. Trump and Joseph R. Biden went against each other in uh, the election and... With the exact same number of electoral votes that Trump got against Clinton in 2016, Biden beat Trump electorally now in 2020. And for a number of reasons, it's a very short number of reasons, it's a very easily listable number of reasons, but it's a number of reasons. Um, There have been questions raised about the state of the peaceful transfer of power in the United States. And as we've mentioned before, and... I don't know if Evan feels like shafted by this, but I keep bringing up U.S. history like every single every single episode at some point or another.
1: No, nah, man, do um, it. I'm in it. I'm in it. Uh, <laughs> uh,
0: the U.S. obviously has a very long tradition of peaceful transfer of power. Um, I mean, people propose election or not propose. Uh, what, what is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> um, protest elections. There you go. People also propose elections, but they happen four years, every four years anyway. Um, uh, you don't have to ask, hey, uh, did we miss an election? <laughs> That's more of a Syria thing. Basically, the U.S. has one of the longest current continuous uh, peaceful transfers of power in, in the world today. The big exception I would point out in U.S. history is uh, the election of 1860, which was followed by a civil war. Um, so, you know, some people some you know, people don't no really handle uh, losing elections very well. But Just some casual bloodshed. No big deal. Just, you know, the deadliest war in U.S. history. War never killed um, anybody. War, what is it good for? Increasing domestic manufacturing. <laughs> um, what was I saying? I oh, don't yeah. know. Um, I wanted to read a letter that I love. It's so wholesome. I've known about this for years, but I've I was thinking like what can we talk about today I want to read one of the most wholesome letters in history okay. uh, from 1993 Okay. left there in the wake of the 1992 US presidential election when uh, President George H.W. Bush was running for a second term against a certain William Jefferson Clinton uh, and Clinton uh, won so Bush Sr. was a one-term president. However, he took, he took that loss in style, and he wrote what I think is one of the nicest letters that you could ever read, and I love it so much, and it just makes me happy. So, the White House, Washington, January 20, 1993. Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success is our country's success. I am rooting hard for you. Good luck, George and doesn't this so make you happy wholesome it's like like imagine imagine losing an election for the most powerful office in the world and then being like you know the guy who took it over is someone i'm gonna write a nice note to because he should have a nice note and so because he should have this, a
1: nice note that's why that's, Because of that's this, why
0: <laughs> clinton wrote a similar note for the Younger Bush, also lev- left it on the Resolute Desk. So these notes were left on the Resolute Desk. Younger Bush wrote a note for Obama and left it on the Resolute Desk.
1: Um, what a great tradition. That's all, most definitely not going to be happening this time, I'm assuming.
0: <laughs> I, I am not sure if there's an Obama note to Trump uh, because it didn't show up on this specific article uh oh my, no it is yeah there is one there is an oh. obama note to trump um
1: what a great tradition so
0: yeah there's like a wholesome wholesome tradition there i i don't know if there's gonna be one i don't really see it happening
1: i don't either it makes me sick I <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah do you want me to read the uh obama letter to trump
1: yeah let's do it
0: yeah so full letter this was this was left on the Resolute desk when Obama left uh, on Inauguration Day for Trump to come see when he came in. Dear I'm Mr. Ready. President, okay. congratulations on a remarkable run. Millions have placed their hopes in you and all of us, regardless of party, should hope for expanded prosperity and security during your tenure. This is a unique office without a clear blueprint for success. So I don't know that any advice from me will be particularly helpful. Still, let me offer a... Ah, an ad popped up with uh, Trump giving a giving a speech <laughs> in the corner of the screen.
2: Oh, okay. Um, anyway, <laughs>
0: uh, where was I? First, we've both been blessed in different ways with great good fortune. Not everyone is so lucky. It's up to us to do everything we can to build more ladders of success for every child and family that's willing to work hard. Second, American leadership in this world really is indispensable. It's up to us, through action and example, to sustain the international order that's expanded steadily since the end of the Cold War and upon which our own wealth and safety depend. Third, we are just temporary occupants of this office. This makes us guardians of these, those democratic institutions and traditions like rule of law, separation of powers, equal protection, and civil liberties that our forebears fought and bled for. Regardless of the push and pull of daily politics, it's up to us to leave those instruments of our democracy at least as strong as we found them. And finally, take time in the rush of events and responsibilities for friends and family. They'll get all they'll get you through the inevitable rough patches. Michelle and I wish you and Melania the very best as you embark on this great adventure. And know that we stand ready to help in any ways which we can. Good luck and Godspeed,
1: B.O. Wholesome. Not like, as wholesome as the first one, but still wholesome.
0: Yeah, the first one is like the ultimate one. It's yeah, because the first
1: wholesome. one wasn't because he felt like he had to, it was because he wanted to. You know? Yeah. That was like I, from the heart
0: this is this is like i wish i wish the tradition was around longer because there's only like four of them to read yeah. but um this is a thing that's like been done is and the best part if you look up the actual like images of them they're generally written on the official white house like notepad paper so it's like it. says the white house washington and the, the newer ones have a uh the little great seal on top so it's like yeah. the official notepad
1: of <laughs> They I just been. want I just want Trump's note to Biden to like, have his face printed on the note. <laughs> like <laughs> like like every notepad in the White House has like Trump like a Trump smile like just for no reason. <laughs> I if
0: if if Trump does pen one uh and it's very wholesome, I will be so happy. I will just be very happy about that. That would be pretty because, awesome, not gonna lie. Because because I I I remember reading this last time now 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 that I've looked it up, I had to confirm that I did read it because it didn't show up on this article, but this New York Times article is like old. It's always just made me happy. I remember I remember encountering the first one on Reddit years ago. Like yeah. on a history subreddit, American history or something. And it was just yeah. like, here's a here's a wholesome letter you could read. And I was like, Whoa, this is a thing. Um and yeah.
1: Yeah. Unlike- it's all very
0: recent history, but like Is anyone mad that presidents write letters to each other? Like, hell no.
1: (laughs) I wish there was, like, a club that only presidents could be in. Presidents and former presidents. Like, just, like, some, like, under-the-White House bar lounge where they just go to hang out and talk politics and just, like, advise each other, you know? Like, that's what I want. (laughs) Just play poker together. Shoot the shit.
0: When you see, like, all of them lined up, Jimmy Carter looks like such an outlier. Like, he's... He's he's quite a bit older than the others.
1: Didn't um, Jimmy Car wasn't Jimmy Carter just some like random third party dude that somehow just won the Iowa caucus and just exploded from there? Who was that? So Jimmy Carter is, I mean, if you're thinking
0: like third party presidents that like jumped into importance, you know, Lincoln is probably the most famous one. But 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 Jimmy Carter, I don't know the early like campaign history of him, but I remember he owned a peanut farm and before going into office he basically got rid of it because he didn't want a conflict of interest within like the agricultural sector while he was in office
1: over his peanut um, farm and now yeah. we have now we have what we have so <laughs> times change i guess <laughs> um so yeah we've compared history of now to history of today what history of We've compared the history of the office to the current office. I did it. I could do English. If, uh, one
0: thing, one thing I like to think of is, like, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of reasons we can't, like, have the same ideas about news and historiography and how we, like, consume and understand things. Like, if you want to apply the same principles between those things, you can do so. You <laughs> can like if you, you want to view great man like great man news versus like social news you can definitely interpret events along like historic lines i love it the only difference is one is has more heated opinions with the people you talk to and it has Correct. more to do with the present moment
1: the, the more recent an event is the more the harder it is to get non-heated um less biased opinions on it and <laughs> that's unfortunate
0: counterpoint Hmm. google prophet muhammad of uh...
1: (laughs) anyway (laughs) so we're supposed to sing some national anthems that's what we've been suggested
0: yeah so suggested time told us to sing national anthems
1: uh i can start i can yeah go ahead or i'll start for you. no wait i'm starting i screwed up (laughs) all
2: right O oh, Canada, our home and native land True patriot love in all of us command Quand ton bras s'est porté l'épée Il s'est porté la croix Ton histoire est une épopée des plus brillants exploit God, keep our land glorious and free. O Canada, we stand on God for Thee. O Canada, we stand on God for thee absolutely lovely
1: thank you so Um, much
0: i i did the the bilingual french like surprised me because i was like what i know these lyrics but those aren't them oh oh
1: yeah man we got a french version we got an english version and we got a bilingual version
0: so so funny story about the french or the canadian national anthem i used to like know it entirely and mm. the reason for that, well, the English version. The reason for that was because uh, back home I lived next to an airport, and we'd have air shows, and it would be like U.S. and Canadian uh, air forces, and so they'd sing both national anthems, and I like learned the Canadian one.
1: I love it. There's um, a <laughs> funny, funny story about the Canadian national anthem. It's actually changed a lot. How like so? our national, like like from the original from the original like national anthem how it was originally written it has just been like little things have been changed like it's just been edited a lot and i don't know how common that is but we've done it <laughs> <laughs> i i don't know the specifics i just know it has happened a lot <laughs> and i don't want to i don't i don't want to get into it <laughs> all right i want Every... to s- i want to find a like
0: reconstructed proto canadian anthem and it's like <laughs> Put together by linguists piecing together the various versions of the songs
1: if anyone cares yeah just look up um O canada on wikipedia and there's okay there's a history of there's the melody there's the lyrics then there's the history of the anthem the adoption li- um, inclusive language debates it's it's got second and third stanzas um historical refrains that aren't sung uh, it's got historical French version. It's got a parliamentary translation of the French version. Ours might be the most complicated. My, our, our I, I wonder if our national anthem has the most variations of it, like, like, like I, legal variations. I want to
0: it. know if uh, there is an Inuktitut version of it because that'd be uh, awesome. You know, English and French are just two languages. Don't leave out your friends and none of it, like
1: Canadian anthem, Inuktitut language, Canadian anthem. Let's do it. I got Canadian Anthem in a Nook tuk tuk sign and sign language on YouTube right here. Yeah, I guess it exists. <laughs> it's not actually that surprising, but it's cool. Yeah. All right, you're supposed to sing a national anthem now.
0: So I I would like... Would so like. I was asked to sing specifically Hatikva, which is the Israeli national anthem. Um, the annoying part about that is, uh, well, I've definitely sung it before. I sang it with lyrics in front of me, and so I'm going to do that again because, well, uh, I do not know this off the top of my head, and because of that, I might botch both the tune and the lyrics. So we'll do that, and then to redeem myself, I will sing the U.S. National Anthem because uh, okay, I can definitely okay. do that.
1: Understandable.
0: So, oh, no, shit, I have to, <laughs> I have to listen to the tune again
1: incredible hold on a sec while i do this all right Uh, there was one line in the in the french uh in the french (laughs) part that i i didn't remember the 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 timing on on the sentence because it had more syllables in the english version so i had to look it up it's okay
0: so in the meantime while i listen to this yes uh fun fact about the israeli national anthem it is one of the only anthems in the world that is in a minor key that's scary yeah it's like it's like it's it's pretty but it's kind of spooky, um, and it's it wasn't it. It predates the state of Israel, so when we Good. say the Israeli national anthem, it's really the Zionist Congress's national anthem that became the national anthem of Israel when, um, you know, they did that war we talked about earlier and declared yeah. the state of Israel, and Fair so uh, now I'm listening anthem. to it right now to to review because you never actually hear it here
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh while jacob's listening i'm i'll i'll do some stuff we need to get done here uh big shout out to they're just gonna throw it in right here big shout out to our our patron andrew plasker you give your shout out my friend thank you so much you have our undying gratitude anyone else who wants to support the patreon it is it is on patreon you can just look up potting through time and we're right there and uh we got all sorts of great benefits, uh, including our undying gratitude, and uh, things like shout-outs. like this this man Andrew Plasker here, who is an absolute Chad. Other stuff to, to talk about is, uh, as we mentioned earlier, join our Discord. Very good place to be. You can find that just look it up. potty through time. We're on we're on the Patreon page. We're on we're on a Facebook page. It'll be linked. It'll also be linked on on the uh, the Reddit. There's a lot of places you can find it. So uh, those are those are good places to be. Good things to do. Thanks for listening. Uh I've run out of things to talk about. Jacob, are you ready? Oh, <laughs>
0: good, because I think I'm ready. Perfect.
3: Um, Einstein, Sophia.
0: Ah, crap. Where I might have I might have done those to the wrong tune. Um. Anyway, that's that's verse one. But like, I I don't know if I rose too quickly in the third and fourth line. I didn't
1: didn't realize that I knew that song until you sang it. It's a good tune.
0: It is a good tune. It is a high quality tune uh i might have botched the second part there but that was verse one
1: um are people going to be satisfied or are they going to force you to sing this again in in, in full length?
0: oh it, it's, it's, it's i'm gonna get told to retry this all right uh, understandable anyway you said you, oh, said you can do the u.s national light all right the light,
3: what <laughs> so proudly we hailed At the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars Through the perilous fight o'er the ramparts we watched Were so gallantly streaming And the rocket's red glare The bombs bursting in air Gave proof through the night That our flag was still there Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave O'er the land of the free and the home of the brave?
1: There we go. Beautiful. Redemption. Um, Thank Thank you for listening, everyone. All right. Are you, are you gonna say bye to them or are you just gonna <laughs> uh
0: I, bye guys i i thought i thought evan was checking out very quickly after this song <laughs> oh
1: no, i i just thought it was a beautiful ending to the episode and i was gonna be like all right <laughs> thanks for listening everyone and then you're gonna be like yeah thanks for listening and that would have been it it's fine it's fine <laughs> it's fine we'll try again all right thanks for listening everyone
0: yep thanks for stopping by uh come check out our patreon and discord and uh Next time, we'll talk about more controversial content. Wait, what?
3: Uh,